open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter number 6. So I said this morning whenever I started out talking about the uh, things that Jesus said, I, I wasn't certain, uh, you know, where I would go and, uh, because there's so much that we could talk about. And, uh, and so I want to hit the highlights and certain things that stand out that, that relate to, you know, to our lives today that will be of practical value to us. Trying to decide what those things are is really difficult because we've all got different opinions. For example, if I talk about something being the best, which I'm going to do here in just a moment, and I'll, I'll tell you what that is. But if I say, you know, well, this, this is the best. This, this morning I said the world's greatest discovery. Uh, I, I don't think that's even debatable. It's, you know, discovering Christ. But you get into these other areas, the best this and the best that and what have you. And so there's room for debate. We've all got different ideas, you know, what, what that might be. Uh, uh, and, you, you know, it's like the old saying, a bulldog can whoop a skunk any time, but the stink ain't worth the fight. It's just not worth getting involved in, in something like that that doesn't make that much difference. I, up at the hospital, the, the, the nurse there, uh, Tim, was, uh, and she'd been so very helpful to the family and, uh, and told me what her name was. Her, her first name was Eve and then uh, said her last name, uh, and, and she had made mention of it. Who's the last woman mentioned in the Bible? Well, my mind went to, I said, over in Acts, and, and I had a brain freeze there, just thinking, trying to think of Dorcas, you know, and uh, her ministry. And, uh, and no, 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 that's just not that. It's uh, Anna there in the, in the temple. Well, by the way, that's, that is not the last one. But then the, I got home and I got to thinking, uh, Jezebel's even mentioned after that. And so I'm glad I didn't think of that because I might have said, oh, you mean Jezebel. But, but, and, and, and I make mention of that simply to say a lot of times, uh, you know, whenever I get up here and I make a, a, a statement about, uh, you know, the, for example, tonight we're going to talk about the best place to live. And, boy, we could disagree with that, right? I, I mean, it'd be really easy uh, Near, nearly uh, almost 30 years ago now, we loaded up a moving van with all of our stuff, and uh, we headed for Texas. We never had any idea that uh, we would uh, someday live in Texas. I'd preached down here on several occasions, but, uh, uh, but had, had no, no plan to ever move here. Uh, you know, if we wanted to stay close to our family and our friends, we would stay right there in the Ozarks. Man, that's where all of our family uh, lived. We, we didn't have any family anywhere else, basically. It's all lived in the Ozarks. Uh, but, uh, but the Lord showed us, well, I want you over in Tennessee for a while. And so we, uh, we load up and uh, take off to Tennessee. We leave, you know, Grandma and Grandpa and uh, Mom and Dad and uh, everybody and... Uh, uh, but if we'd want to stay, you know, with our family, we would have just remained there in, in, uh, in Missouri. Uh, if we had wanted to live in the most beautiful place, 
Well, it might have been a toss-up between Kentucky and Missouri because they're just absolutely beautiful, gorgeous places. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, I, I haven't found any place like that around Houston. Now, you get over in the hill country and you can get close. But uh, anyway, if, if it had just been a matter of beauty, while well, we would have stayed there. A friendly place, uh, well, no doubt about it. I think hands down be Tennessee. I, I don't think I've ever lived in a place where people in general were more friendly. Good night. You couldn't even get out of the checkout lane at Walmart in Tennessee because somebody, you know, the, the clerk that never met you before had to tell you her life history. And uh, it took us a long while to get used to that. And, uh, you know, uh, people in general uh, in other places that we lived have just not been that friendly. Uh, if we had been looking for a quieter place, well, I'm not, I'm not really sure, but I think almost anywhere would be maybe quieter than the traffic, you know, in Houston and all of the uh, stuff that's going on. And, of course, there's the money consideration, there's the weather consideration, and so forth. And, and so I could look at all of those things and say, why am I in Texas? What, what are we doing here, you know? Uh, but there's a very good reason for it. And, and not only why are we in Texas, but why are we at this particular church? Why, why not some other church? Uh, but for some reason, uh, this is where we're at. Well, I hope the message tonight will explain. Matthew 6, verse number 33, and I have been fighting, trying to not get bogged down in the different parts of the Sermon on the Mount. But I, I, I don't think we can, uh, that we can just bypass this particular verse of Scripture because it is so pertinent to everything we've been talking about. Verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Every year, somebody composes a list of the best places to live. I'm not sure what magazine, probably several magazines and newspapers, you know, the best place to live. And uh, they take a lot of different things into consideration. It might be employment opportunities, the cost of living. It might be the climate, the recreational facilities, the number of professional ball teams and things like that. And, 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 you know, but what, what would you say is the best place to live? Now, I'm, that's in the form of a question, but it's hypothetical. I don't really want an answer. I just want you to think about that. And I will tell you, it has nothing to do with geographical location. The answer, I believe, is found here in our text. And there's a, this is a key verse for successful living and I want, you to, I want you to look at each phrase, each word here, in order to arrive at this conclusion. Notice he says, but seek. That particular word means to set your heart on, to aim at, to strive for or after, to pursue. You're seeking something. It's not, you know, it's not you're, that you're just accepting something. It's not that, yeah, you know, yeah, okay, if it, you know, okay, if I do, and it's okay if I don't. No, it's something you're seeking after. 
Uh, you're putting all of your energy and applying your time. This is, this is your goal. This is what you're striving for. But notice he says, seek ye first. That means before and above all else. First. I mean, first means number one, right? I mean, you don't even have to graduate from, from college to realize that one, you know, number one means number one. Seek ye first, but notice what he says, the kingdom of God. Now, this is important because it takes us right back to the very beginning whenever I made the statement that we're going to look at the things that Jesus said, and the first thing I did was to get to the core of it before we began to look at the commandments and things of that nature, before we looked at the details, the core of his teaching, the heart of his teaching was what? It was the kingdom of God. And several times it makes mention of that fact that he, and by the way, he and the apostles, John the Baptist, they came preaching the kingdom of God. And, and, and so a lot of people might read those verses and a lot of people might be familiar with the phrase kingdom of God, but I, I'm telling you, I don't think most people, I didn't say you, but most people, I don't think, really understands the concept of the kingdom of God. Remember, we defined it as God's rule within believers on earth at any given time. God's rule. Remember, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. It's God's rule within believers on earth at any given time. Now, that's what the kingdom of God is. Remember, I talked about the fact that three different aspects. There's what the kingdom of God was over in the Old Testament, what the kingdom of God is, and what the kingdom of God shall be someday whenever the, all the heavens and the earth and everything is subdued by him and ruled by him, and he reigns as king of kings and lord of lords, and we had an entire message on those three different aspects of the kingdom of God. But presently, it's God's rule within believers on earth at any given time. That's the kingdom of God. Well, the very first part of the word kingdom uh, tells us that it's speaking about authority, right? A king. You've got a kingdom, you've got a king, you've got a ruler, you've got somebody in a position of authority. And in this case, notice, it is the kingdom of God. It's his kingdom. And he is the king. He is the ruler. So when we talk about living in the kingdom of God or seeking the kingdom of God, we're talking about living under his authority. Are you with me? We're talking about now the best place to live. And I'm telling you, the best place to live is not in Texas, not in Missouri, not in Tennessee, not in Kentucky, not in Ohio. The best place to live is under the authority of God himself. Now, we can't live in two places at the same time, can we? Uh, you, you, you really can't. I, I mean, somebody says, well, you know, I, I, I love Texas, but I want to live in, you know, what, whatever state. No, you can't. You've got to pick one or the other. Uh, and you can't live in two different kingdoms. Remember, Jesus even told us that we can't serve God in mammon, that we're either for him or we are against him. And, and so we're, we're either all in or we're all out, one of the two. Now, there have been those that have opposed the kingdom of God. 
those that tried to live contrary to the kingdom of God. And we find the perfect example of that, of course, is over in Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar, you'll remember where he decided, uh, who is this God that, you know, that Daniel is talking about? After all, I'm the king. I'm the one running the show. This is my kingdom. And as a result of that, he offended God himself and, and, and just basically said to Daniel, your God's not telling me what to do. I'm running this show. I'm the king. And he ended up insane. He ended up... Now, think about this. This is the king. He lives in the palace. This is the king. He has all authority. And see him out there in the field eating grass like an ox. He, he is like the beast of the field. I mean, God brought him down to absolutely nothingness. He lived like a crazy person, all because of the fact that he resisted and resented the kingdom of God. He simply was saying, I'm not going to live there. And it didn't turn out good for him. And I got news for you. It won't turn out good for you either, folks. And there are a lot of folks that are determined in their heart that I am going to do as I please. It's my life. I've got the right to do whatever I want to do. No, you don't. No, you don't. As so many people nowadays, you know, has got the attitude, nobody's going to tell me what to do. You better get used to it or you'll end up in prison where somebody will tell you what to do all of the time. That's just part of life. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the best place to live, which is the kingdom of God under the authority of God himself. Let me tell you, first of all, that kingdom living is resisted by the flesh. You better believe that your effort to live under God's authority, to live in and for His kingdom, is not going to go uncontested because our stubborn pride is going to insist on having its way. Our pride, our selfishness is going to insist on not submitting ourselves to God. You, you know, since the day you were born, you know, we've been trying to do things our way. And now, all of a sudden, you know, uh, a person receives Christ as their Savior. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. I've got to put the brakes on. I can't do this and I can't do that. Uh, and, and the flesh isn't going to give up that fight. If you don't believe me, read Romans chapter number 7. I mean, here is Paul, the great apostle Paul, and he's talking about the struggle that he's going through, the flesh uh, against the Spirit. And, and all of us are going to experience that until the day that we die. Amen. There is a part of us that's going to want to do what's wrong you'll never outgrow that it's always going to exist as long as you're living on this earth if you're serious about serving god you're in a warfare there's going to be a battle going on and the outcome of your life is going to be determined by the decisions that you make and, and, and so whenever all of a sudden you know you know what the bible says you know what god wants you know maybe how the Holy Spirit has been directing you, but you've already made your plans 
and you really don't want to cancel their, those plans. You've already made up your mind what you want to be and what you want to do. And God comes in and, and all of a sudden he says, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to change all of that. I can guarantee you that if, if, if I had been what, what I was after I'm saved, when Bev and I started going together, I don't think I'd ever got the first date. Now, she was a whole lot better than I was, but she wasn't perfect when we got saved. Uh, like I said, a whole lot closer than I was. But uh, she married me for whatever crazy reason, temporary insanity or something. She married me. And, and here's the thing about it. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, after a few years, I got saved. And not only did I get saved, then I surrendered to preach. And I hit the ground running. She didn't marry a preacher. You know, that wasn't at all what she intended when we got married. She wasn't thinking, oh, boy, I hope he turns out to be a, a preacher. And no, then not at all. That's not what she planned. But God knew that was going to happen. That, that was God's plan. And I'm telling you, whenever, when you know what God's will is for your life, if you don't do it, if you don't do it, you are headed for trouble. Now, not only will kingdom living be resisted by the flesh, it'll be resented by the world. Resented by the world. Um, great examples over in Acts chapter number 14. And here's Paul. Now, remember, he is doing exactly what he ought to do, right? He's preaching the gospel. He's going from place to place, helping people, giving them what they need most. And he's in Lystra, and there, as a result of him doing right, they stone him. They think they have killed him. They drag him out of the street, as they did in those days. There was no proper burial. They drag him out, out down the street, out of town, out to the garbage dumps just dispose of his body out there in the garbage dump, thinking he was dead. Here was a man that was supplying them with the thing they needed more than anything else in all of the world, and they resented that. Now, now hopefully you'll never have to suffer as the Apostle Paul did, but I'm telling you, if you determine to live your life for the glory of God and under the authority of God, if you intend to live the kingdom life, you're, you're going to pay a price. Paul said, all, all of those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It, it's not if, it's when. It's going to happen. They may not stone you. They may not incarcerate you. They might not lynch you. Uh, you know, you might not suffer that way, but I'll guarantee you there will be people that will hold that against you, people that might, you know, a promotion perhaps on the job that you deserve that, you know, well, you're not going to get it, and they're not going to come out and tell you, well, I'm not going to give it to you because you're one of those radical, fanatical Baptists, and I, can't, I despise you people Why you're against abortion and you're against homosexuality and you got some liberal for a boss. You mark it down. When push comes to shove, they're not going to give you the advantage. 
they resent what you stand for. And you're not going to be able to get away from that. We're in the world, but not of the world. And we're living in a world where we are hated and despised by those that know not Christ as their Savior. So kingdom living, living in this wonderful place that we're talking about, is going to be resisted by the flesh and resented by the world. But listen, it will revolutionize your life when you decide that you're going to live under God's rule of conduct. When you decide that you're going to place yourself under His authority, that you're going to obey His Word, do what He says, your conduct is going to be regulated by the Lord, not by what others tell you to do, not by your own personal desires. Let me tell you, nobody ever got saved and remained the same. Nobody. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, what about the thief on the cross? Let me tell you something. He was entirely different. It's true. Yeah, he was on the cross. He couldn't be baptized. He couldn't join the church. He didn't have a chance to give his tithe that week. He couldn't do a lot of the things that, you know, that we expect Christians to do. But I'm telling you, there was a change that took place in his heart. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, and old things pass away, all things become new. When Paul was describing this conversion experience, he says that God, quote now in Colossians, God hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And that's what we're talking about. Kingdom living. That when God saves us, He translates us into the kingdom of of God. Now, while we are resented by the world and resisted by the flesh, even though that's going on, because we are a part of God's kingdom, that means that we have the resources of heaven to help us to be victorious. None of us are perfect, even, you know, we get saved. We're not just automatically perfect. None of us are really even close. But now at least we've got a choice. We don't sin because we are just all of a sudden overwhelmed with it. We sin because we make a foolish choice. But we've got a choice. Whereas the unsaved are taken captive by the devil at his will, you and I, those that have been saved, that are living in God's kingdom, we have a choice now that we can choose victory rather than sin. And so it changes your entire life. Not only that, and it needs to be said that kingdom living reduces the ranks. Um, Paul found this out over in Acts chapter number 19. And I don't want to get bogged down here with a lot of, uh, a lot of history and so forth, but, but there's some things that just, illustrate perfectly what I'm talking about. Verse 8 of chapter number 19. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning, here we go, the kingdom of God. Now you know what he was preaching, right? Three months. He's hammering on this. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way. I underline that in my Bible. That way. 
that that was the way they observed the kingdom of God that he's preaching that way. Before the multitude, he departed from them and persuaded the disciples, or separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. Now, we can go on and on and on talking about those. You'll remember that there were those that were following the Lord, and all of a sudden, Jesus lays down the demands of discipleship. And I mean, he didn't pull any punches. He said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to do this and this and the other. And the Bible says, and many went away and walked with him no more. Instead of Jesus running down the road saying, please, you all come back. I can't afford to lose this many members. Instead of doing that, he turned to those that were left and said, will ye go away also? You going to go with them? It reduces the ranks. Some, some people worry about, you know, Brother Stone, if I, if I do what you're telling me to do, to just live all out for God and to put my life under His authority and, and to just do what God wants me to do, I'm going to have to leave my friends. No, you don't. They leave you. They leave you. They won't want anything to do with you. And, and sometimes, sometimes it might even be members of your own family. That's why Jesus said, a man's foes shall be they of his own household. There will be those that will despise you, that will resent you, and all of a sudden your circle of friendships not going to be nearly so large as it was simply because of what? Because now you are living for the kingdom. And, and, and so it's going to reduce the ranks all of a sudden. Not only that, kingdom living relates to every area of our lives. By that, I mean that every little area, whatever it is, you know, so many times we think about living for the Lord affects us only from the standpoint of religion. And so it affects what we do, for example, on Sunday. You know, this is the Lord's Day. We go to church on Sunday. But, the, you know, the other six days of the week, we're free to do whatever we please. But kingdom living says, oh, no, you're on call 24-7. You're obligated to live under His authority every hour of every day. In the Sermon on the Mount, if we studied this entire sermon, it describes the righteousness of the kingdom. And it sets forth those standards by which we ought to live. And, and just even a casual glance at this sermon shows us it deals with every area, whether it is our ambitions, our actions, or our attitudes. Every area of our life gets covered in this one sermon. That's why so many people have called this the greatest sermon that was ever preached. And I don't doubt that because the greatest preacher that ever lived preached it. And he covered all of the bases. So kingdom living involves more than a quick visit to church on Sunday morning because for, for those of us that are Christians, all ground is holy ground. We live under His authority, whether we're within the walls of this church or whether we're in the office, whether we are at school, wherever we are, we live under the same authority and never free to do as we please. Now, at least one more thing needs to be said about this, and that is that kingdom living results in great blessings. When we determine 
that the best place to live is living in God's kingdom. When we make that decision, uh, all of a sudden we'll realize the great benefits of that. Maybe, maybe you're on the fence tonight. Maybe, you know, you have the world tugging at you on one hand. You got all your, your family and your Christian friends there tugging on the other hand. May the Holy Spirit's tugging in your heart. And deep down, you know what you ought to do, but you're just, uh, yeah, you're just uh, resisting those urges to do what is right. What you need to do is to evaluate, evaluate the situation and to understand the benefits that will be derived as a result of living there in the kingdom. There are benefits to that. And, and the Bible tells us about those benefits. My, if you just stay there in chapter number six, for example, where we've been talking about and he's talking about, you know, the, the people that are worried about about their goods and things of that nature. And he said, the fowls of the air, he said, they don't sow and neither do they reap, nor do they gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? And he goes on and says, consider the lilies in verse number 28. And, 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 and he's explaining to them that I am perfectly able to take care of you. And he puts it all in just one sentence here. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. In other words, you're not going to have anything to, to worry about, nothing to fret about. You can rest assured that God is going to supply your needs. Isn't that a wonderful promise? I don't know where you can find anything like that in all of the world, that if you do this, you know, you know the, the church might have said... Uh, Whenever they call me as the pastor, they might have said, look, if you move your family down here and be our pastor, you know, we'll, we'll pay you $200,000 a year to do that. Now, they couldn't have. If they wanted to, they didn't have $200,000 to start with. But if they had said something like that, you know, I might have thought, wow, that's going to be a lucrative position. I've never had an offer like that. I, I, I just feel, I feel led to go to Texas. <laughs> yeah, you'd be surprised how many how many times we blame things on God He doesn't have anything to do with. But but anyway, so I get down here and uh, Bev has packed up all of her stuff and like we have I think on every move nearly let we have a yard sale whatever you don't sell you just leave it out in the yard because you're on a you're on a schedule a time schedule and. You got to leave. I got the moving van. It's rented, packed up. Leave it out in the yard. Tell somebody. Tell the neighbors. Come get whatever they want. That's that's the way we left. There it is. You know we we don't have room for it. We'll just leave it behind. And so we might you know we might move down here. And it is the intention of this dear church to do exactly what they say. But they don't have sufficient resources to carry through on a promise like that. Right? I mean, they might mean well, but they can't do anything about it. Uh, well, let me tell you, when God makes a promise, that's an entirely different matter. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
And all of these things shall be added unto you. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply what? All your need according to, not out of, but according to His riches in glory. And, and just this fact of deciding that this is, this, this is where I'm going to live just gives you all of that assurance that when we do that, it's like God saying, okay, I'll take care of the rest. I read a story several years ago, you know, that, that illustrates uh, this point. There was a fellow that was lost out in the desert. I, I don't know if the story is supposed to be true or not, but anyway, as it goes, the man was dying of thirst. And he happens upon this little dilapidated shack. I mean, it was just a thing was falling down. And he, he just needed a drink of water and some shade so bad. Well, he found there nearby an old rusty pump. And he thought, wow, boy, this is going to be great if I can just get some water. And so he grabbed the pump handle and he started pumping and a pumping and a pumping. Nothing. He couldn't get a drop of water out of that well. And then he happened to notice a jug sitting there. And the jug, someone had written on the jug, you have to prime the pump with all of the water in the jug, my friend. P.S. Be sure you fill the jug again before you leave. Well, now he's facing a dilemma. He's finally found a jug of water. He's dying of thirst. And here's somebody he doesn't even know told him he needs to use it to prime the pump. And he's thinking to himself, man, if I just drink this water, I might, I might be able to make it out of here and get help. If I pour this water in the pump and it doesn't work, I don't stand a chance. And so he keeps thinking about it, and finally he decides, well, I've got to run the risk. That was the way he was looking at it. And so he, he pours the water in the pump. He primes the pump. I can remember as a boy literally doing that, priming a pump in order to get water. And so he primes the pump. He gets the water finally while he's drinking this cool, clear water. And he drinks his full, and he remembers what the note said about refilling the jug. And so he wrote then, leaving a note for someone else, Believe me, it really works. You have to give it all away before you can get anything back. When I heard that story, I thought, wow, what a commentary that is on the Christian life. And especially whenever you take into consideration all of the things that Jesus said, He said, if we save our life, we will lose it. But if we give it away, if we lose our life for His sake, He says, then you will find it. So more than half a century ago, uh, I made my choice about where I was going to live. I decided I made a choice where I'm going to live. It had nothing to do with Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky, or Texas. 
I made a choice that I am going to live my life in God's kingdom under His authority. And thank God I had a wife that was willing to do the same thing and to follow me wherever I went because she believed that that I, that I knew what God wanted. And, and let me tell you, when I look back, I can honestly say I do not regret that decision one little bit. And I'm telling you, you won't regret that decision either. Now, I got one final word I want to add. When you make that decision, that will make all of the other decisions in life a lot easier. Because after you make that decision, you'll make all of the other decisions in the light of the commitment that you made to Jesus Christ. Because of the fact that we, uh, we live in Texas, that puts certain limitations on other things that, 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 we, that we can lawfully do. I can't just decide, well, I'm going to go hunting or fishing over in Louisiana unless I get a license from there. I'm not able to do that. I can't go to some other country and do whatever I want. I'm not a citizen of that country. But when I'm in the, in the United States, in the state of Texas, I have certain rights. And so I make decisions about what I'm going to do based on where I live. I'd be some kind of crazy if whenever the, my car tags run out and I said, well, I like, I, I like those tags in Missouri better. I'm going to go up there and get tags for my car. Well, that won't work. I don't live up there. So I've got to make a decision based on where I live. And let me tell you, when you decide I'm going to live my life under the authority of God, then all of those other decisions, including where you live and everything, we don't have to get up on Sunday morning, scratch your head and say, well, okay, we went to church last Sunday. You think we ought to do it again? We don't have to decide that. And, then, and you know what I'm talking about, because a bunch of, bunch of you folks live where I live, right? In the kingdom of God, under His authority, you made that decision. You know what I'm talking about. But there are some folks that haven't really sincerely made that decision about where they're going to live their life. They're on the fence, and they vacillate back and forth and... They say one thing and they do another thing, but when you just make an all-out commitment that I'm going to live my life under God's authority, I'm going to seek nothing but His glory, I'm going to depend on nothing but His promises, when you reach that point in your life, every other decision, where you work, where you go to school, where you live, every decision you make will be made in the light of how it affects where you live in the kingdom of God. So I've got just one question. Where do you live? Where do you live? You could be living in the best place on earth. And if you're not living there, I hope you move. Amen. I don't mean move out of state. I mean move your life under His authority. Let's all stand. Father, 
We're so thankful again for the wonderful promises that you've given us. We're so thankful for the evidence of your faithfulness, not only in the things that you've done for Bev and I and, and for our family, but whenever I look around and I see these dear folks that love you with all of their heart, that serve you with all of their energy, and they know exactly what I'm talking about, and I look and I see what you've done for them. I think about how you've healed some and you've supplied their needs and you've taken care of them in, in, in their dire situations. And Lord, it's just so encouraging to know that you've never failed to keep your promises. But then, Lord, I think about those that are indeed living on the fence, those that have never really made up their mind exactly what they're going to do with their life. And it's no wonder they worry it's no wonder that they have fears. It's no wonder that, that they're never ever really fully satisfied with life. They're always yearning and always looking for something that's not there. And I pray tonight that you'll help them to realize that uh, if they would but move, if they would but move and lose their life, that they would find it in Jesus Christ. And every need they have would be supplied, not out, of a, not out of a sense of deserving it or demanding it or earning it, but all by your grace as a result of their act of obedience. Thank you for the privilege of being able to live in your kingdom and under your watch care. For we ask it all in Jesus' precious name, amen.